welcome to the Renaissance Christian Church Podcast. We're a church family with the mission of seeking God, serving others, and sharing the gospel. We're grateful that you have joined us as we study through the Bible, and we hope that it brings you encouragement and inspiration for your daily life. Here's Pastor John Bandman. We are returning to our study in Isaiah this morning. I hope the, uh, the late summer uh, series on uh, speaking from the pastor's heart, I hope that was a blessing. Um, and now it's, we're going back to Isaiah 58. So you're going to want to turn in your Bibles to Isaiah 58. And while you're turning there, I want to tell you, we, uh, Donna and I were uh, taking care of our grandsons this past weekend. And um, we, we were playing with them all weekend and, and uh, enjoying our grandsons. And uh, in their living room, it's kind of one of those sort of living rooms that you step down into. And it's kind of like the octagon for the boys and I to wrestle in and, and uh, play in. And they've got all these boxes of toys that they've been accumulating from, from the first. We have three grandsons. So the eldest one, is, as he's... He's collected toys. They all go in these boxes. And as each one sort of, as they're growing, collect their own toys, they, they have this amazing collection of all these toys and all these different boxes. And the youngest one will just pull out the box and just dump the whole thing out in the middle of the living room. And we'll just tear into it and play with airplanes and dinosaurs. And they're all like, uh, you know, like in Toy Story where they're, you know, the head of one guy is on the body of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. It's just kind of craziness. but. But it's really fun. Um, and actually, our oldest grandson, his birthday is coming up in just a couple weeks. And of course, the thing about being a grandparent, you always want to figure out, okay, what's the best gift to give your, your grandson? And, and, and the, the way to really measure the, the winning gifts are the toys that survive those toy boxes actually from, season, from year to year. In fact, when I'm, when I'm playing with my grandsons, I notice they've got this airplane that the oldest got when he was just still a little tiny toddler. And this airplane is still, it's, it's survived for, I don't know, four years now, five years, something like that. And, and they still play with it. And this thing is just demolished. I mean, the pillars are broken off and the cargo doors are broken off and this thing is just thrashed. But it's still like the primary toy that they're playing with constantly. And of course, my job, Papa, I'm in the control tower, you know, giving them clearance to take off, and they're blasting off from the coffee table and landing, and, and uh, we're just playing with it, especially the youngest one. The older one now is actually go, is playing cards with Nana. He's, he's, Nana's turning them to a card player. Um, so, but it's, it's a blast, and, it, and it, you know, observing that, it, 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 it makes me think of how many gifts the Lord have, has given us. He's given us this amazing gift of salvation, of eternal life, the gift of the Holy Spirit to empower us each day as we walk through really been quite a time of tribulation, has it not? I mean, most of you are listening to this message because you're at a, in a high-risk category or you're trying to be careful to protect yourself from, from this virus, and we're no way out of the woods yet. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's still there, it's still with us, and it's gonna be with us, I, I expect, at least until the end of the year, probably into the spring. Uh, by the time we get a vaccine that's approved, you know, we're, we've, we've got a ways to go with this. And in the meantime, 
it's so critical, especially for those in that high-risk category that can't join us here in our live service, so critical for us to be able to be walking in the gifts of the Lord and, and, and be reminded of how much we have in the Lord, how much he's given us. And, um, you know, the great, the great fear for a grandparent is that we, like with, with Tate's birthday coming up, that we pick out a gift and he opens it and he goes like, oh, cool, thanks, thanks, Papa, Nana. And then we just never see that gift again. And I, I think sometimes we're that way with the Lord and with our faith that the Lord has given us such an amazing gift and, and we take that gift and we just, we don't even open the box. We just sort of set it on the shelf and we say, ah, oh, isn't that a cool gift? But we don't take it out. We don't play with it. We don't share it with our friends. We don't, we don't you know, use it. We don't drive it. We don't fly it. We don't, we don't in, invest in those gifts and sharing those gifts with our, our brothers and our sisters and our neighbors and our friends and our family. And the Lord has given us so much to share. So this morning, we really want to encourage you, you know what, even in the midst of a pandemic, even when you're feeling really pretty isolated, the Lord's calling us, you know what, we still need to show up and share what the Lord's given us for our own sake as well as for the sake of those around us. And we have to be pretty creative in this time of, of pandemic to, to reach out and find safe ways to engage with each other. So let's go. Let's go to Isaiah 58. Uh, God is speaking to Isaiah and, and he's going to give Isaiah yet another message to his people that are about to go into captivity. Uh, and let's go for it. Verse 1, chapter 58, verse 1. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. So God's telling Isaiah, look, Isaiah, scream this at the top of your lows to my people. This is a critical, important message, and my people need to hear this. And here's the message. You ready? Declare to my people their transgressions and to the house of Jacob their sins. It's like, oh man, here we go again. Like roll, roll the tape, right? From We were just joking earlier with the worship team that the theme song of Darth Vader's March is so embedded in our culture. You know, dun, 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 dun. this is that kind of message, okay? So buckle your safety belt. You know, it's like God is saying, look, you're sinning. You have sin, right? And the truth is, is we sin. As believers, we sin. John, in, in John's first letter, he says, you know what? Uh, if you say you have no sin, you're, you're not in the truth. You're a liar. We have sin. We fall short. And the people of God have definitely fallen slow, short as we've been reading all the way through Isaiah. In fact, Isaiah has that famous passage, all have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all fallen short. So this is a message to all of us this morning. God continues verse 2. He says, you know, how have we fallen short? He says, yet they seek me daily. Well, that sounds okay, right? Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways. I'm like, okay, this is not sounding like sin yet, right? And, and it depends on the translation. This next line, NSAB will say, they're a nation that does righteously and does not forsake the judgments of their God. And he continues, they delight to draw near to God. These all sound like really positive things. It's like, where's the sin in all that? 
And, and it's really a, transition, a translation issue. If, if you read the ESV or the NIV, the translators insert two really key words that help us understand what God's saying. And the two words are as if. And, and, and the way it reads in that translation is, yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of my righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to, to my God. So on the surface, by all appearances, God's people are doing the right thing. They're seeking God. They're delighting and knowing his ways. They, they're, they're asking God for his righteous judgments, which is, to put that in shorthand, it's like asking for God's way in my life. You know, they're, they're delighting to draw near to God, but they're doing it as if they are a holy nation, as if they truly believe, as if they are truly seeking after the Lord's righteousness in their life. And the reality, of course, as we've been learning all the way through Isaiah, is they're doing exactly the opposite. They're not seeking the Lord. They're actually worshiping idols, right? Over and over and over again. And, and really the reason why God is disciplining them so hard and sending them into captivity is because of their idolatry, because of their their propensity to be worshiping false gods rather than the true living God. Right? So how does this how does this play out, this idea that they're they're kind of seeking God in name, but not really truly in any kind of deep way? Verse three. Uh, and actually God sort of gives voice to sort of anticipates what his people are saying in response to this. He says, why have we fasted and you see it not? This is God's people saying, but Lord, why have we fasted and you don't even see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of us? Lord, we do all these spiritual things. We fast, we humble ourselves. We go to church on Sunday. We go to Bible study. We're doing all the right things. How come you're not hearing us? How come you seem far off, so far off? How come you don't seem to even pay attention to us? And God's answer, continuing in verse 3, is, Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure. And an alternative translation to that word pleasure, and you probably see a note in your Bible, which is, pursue your own business. On the day of you doing all these religious things, all these apparently spiritual things, you're not about my agenda. You're not about my business my pleasure, you're all about your own business, your own agenda, your own pleasure, your own self-seeking. Verse 4 says, Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice be heard on high. So God's saying, like, even as you're fasting, even as you're doing all these right spiritual things, you're quarreling and fighting with your, your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. You're fighting with one another. And yeah, I think that's becoming actually a growing concern for the church as, as we have so much uh, political strife and social strife happening in our world right now that some of that may spill into the church and we begin to fight and wrestle with each other even as we're singing songs of praise and worship to the Lord Simultaneously, we might be get engaged in these, these fights and fist 
fistfights over secondary issues, you know, that the Lord is calling us to have, have grace and mercy and, and patience with in terms of how we deal with one another. But God's people are, are not doing that. They're, they're actually kind of using their spirituality and their religious practice to kind of cover over all their iniquity, all the ways that they are not really seeking the Lord. Verse 5 says, is such, the, is, is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? God's saying, look, is the right way to worship me, the right way to seek after me, is it to, is it to just take on the appearance of, of holiness, you know, be all pious and take the pose and pose as if you're some sort of spiritual guru? Is that what I'm looking for? And of course, the, the obvious answer is no, not at all. God's not looking for us to be all holy and bow our heads and, 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 and pretend to humble ourselves. He's looking for something completely different. And what is that? Verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? And what he's going to do now is launch into what true spirituality is. What it means to take all the gifts that God has giving, given us and use them in the most religious, spiritual way we can. This is how we seek God from a, from a, from a pure place, uh, as opposed to, a, the title of the message, by the way, is Seeking God the Hard, hard Way, okay? All of what we just described is Seeking God the Hard Way. Um, subtitle is How Spiritual Practice Can Bring You No Closer to the Lord. You know, that kind of spiritual practice brings us just no closer to God. In fact, when you look at the Gospels, the one thing that, that the Lord just gets so angry with over and over time, he, he's so patient. You know, people are suffering, they're hurting, they have disease, they're possessed by demons. He's so patient with them. They're, they misunderstand, they have, they have thing, everything all turned around backwards, they don't, don't understand the prophets proper, properly, and he's so patient with them. He heals them, he restores them, he teaches them, he corrects them. Very patient. But when he really gets angry is when the religious elite, the Pharisees, who pretend to be all spiritual, um, are anything but that. You know, they, on the outside, they're, they're, they're just look so good spiritually, but on the inside, they just have all kinds of corrupt motives. They're all about pursuing their own business, their own agenda. I'll share with you briefly from Matthew 23. 23. Um, this is actually a whole, whole list. Jesus goes through this whole chapter and confronts the Pharisees about their hypocrisy. And I'm just going to give you two or three of them. Starting 23, it says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe and mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out gnats and swallowing a camel. Jesus said, hey, you should do your spiritual practice. You should seek the Lord. You should delight 
in His righteous judgment. You should seek His provision. You should do all these things, but don't neglect the weightier things, the things that are most important. And what is it? It's the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. Right? And, and, and he's confronting these religious leaders that they're missing the very core of what they preach. 25 says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. So there it is very graphically, the, the you know, false external practice of religion versus the true internal um, exercise of the gifts that God's given us. So, and there's a whole list of here. I encourage you to take a look at chapter 23, read that whole chapter, and it really speaks to that whole element of hypocrisy. So what is the true gifting that God has called us to to seek him in, to to delight in him in. Let's go verse uh, verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? Is not this the spiritual practice that I choose? To loose the the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of, of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. What the Lord is saying here is, look, you know what? True religion means taking all the gifts I've given you. Have I, have I not um, broken the bonds of wickedness in your life? Have I not given you the grace and the power to set yourself free from things that used to bind you up? Can you not share that with someone who's in that same place, who needs the same release from wickedness? to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Have I not let you free from your oppression? Have I not broken many of the yokes that have been in your life? Can you take that same gift I've given you and give it to your brother, your sister in Christ? Can you give it to your neighbor next door? Can you extend it out to the person on the street? Can you share that gift? That's true religion. That's true expression of Christian faith. Verse 7, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and to bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover them and not hide yourself from your own flesh? Again, very, this is very practical. This is very rubber meets the road. Look, if God has blessed us, if God has saved us from our sins, if he continues to provide for us resources, can we not share some of that with others? When we see someone who's in need, if they're hungry, you know, there's people, we have a huge homeless problem, in case you haven't noticed, in, in Southern California. Can you reach out to them? I think sometimes we get sort of intimidated by just the enormity of the need. It's just, you know, you see people on the corner everywhere, you see people camped out underneath bridges, and you're like, Lord, how can I even begin to help them with all the, the constellation of needs that they have? You know, there may be Uh, mental issues there, there may be drug addiction there, they may just be somebody who's lost their job. I mean, they're a billion, what is it, 20 million or 30 million? I I don't know the number who are out of work right now because of the virus. It's overwhelming. And yet the Lord's saying, look, just take what I've given you and give some of that to the person in need. Take some of the food I've given you 
and give it to that person in need. Give, take some of that clothing that I've given you and give it to a person in need. Uh, I, I want to share a brief story. My, my cousin, his son, Austin, uh, him and his wife, uh, they're, they're, they're kind of brought up in Kansas. They now, now live in Arkansas. And uh, uh, after they got married and they're kind of starting out, they actually came out here to L.A. They wanted to get involved in, in doing some uh, real estate work and, and, and ministry. And they were just shocked, I think, overwhelmed by the, the amount of homelessness there is in L.A. So at some point they decided that, that they really had they were going to go back to Arkansas. And they went back to Arkansas, but they went back to Arkansas with a real vision and heart for homeless and and people who are hungry, and they, they started a business, they actually started a little bistro, and, and they built it on the model where each meal you buy, they donate a certain amount to feeding the hungry. And uh, they, their first one was kind of, they experimented a bunch with, and then they kind of did a reboot. And so you can look it up, it's called uh, Tacos for Life. I'm not, I'm not plugging them. They're not in California yet, so this is, not a, this is not an advertisement for their business. But my point in sharing their story is if you check them out online, they're now, they now have like, I think, six stores that they own, plus they've added another half dozen or maybe more franchises, and they're growing out there in Texas and, and all those areas back east. And it's called Tacos for Life, so every time you go in, you buy a meal, they donate a certain percentage to feeding um, the hungry. And what really jumped out at me is when they first started out, they had a Kickstarter campaign. And in this campaign, they kind of did the math. And, and they said, look, you know, based on our model, if we keep growing and, and opening these stores, we can, we can solve world hunger. World hunger will be taken care of. And at the time, I remember thinking, oh, yeah, they're young kids. You know, they don't really know what they're, what they're getting themselves in. I mean, just, you know, the audacity of youth that they can solve world hunger. And yet, they are... They're cooking and they're feeding a lot of people around the globe through the organization that they donate to because maybe they were young enough and bold enough to say, you know what, Lord, we're willing to just invest what you've given us, the time that you've given us, the energy that you give us, and they're making a huge impact and their mission is to solve world hunger, which is like amazing to me. So check them out. But, but I use them as an example, and actually they've been a conviction to me that's like, man, can I not just hand somebody a, a little book of McDonald's uh, gift certificates who's on the corner? You know, we don't have to fix their entire life, but just to get, offer them a little help. The Lord's saying, hey, that's true spiritual worship. You know, that's really walking in your faith. He, he, he says, and, and the rest of this whole passage is, is a lot of if and then statements. If we walk in this way that the Lord is showing us, there's all kinds of blessing, both for the people we walk with as well as for us. He says, um, verse 8, Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Anybody want that? I mean, I do. And the Lord's saying, look, extend yourself. Give yourself out. And, and I will use it to bless you. I will, I will use you to be a light in a dark world. Pastor Robert preached on that last week. You know what? To be salt and to be light. And the way we are light is let our works be seen before men and they will give glory to God. Right? Well, this is 
reinforcing that same idea, which is a clue to us that when God says something twice, he's, he's saying, hey, you guys need to pay attention to this. You know what? We need to share ourselves with our community, with our neighbor, with, with our family here at Renaissance, with our own birth families. We need to look for opportunities to share what the Lord's given us. And as we do that, his right, the, the, righteous, the righteousness that God works through us will be a light in a dark world. He'll clothe us in the light of his glory. He will be our rear guard, which is an interesting kind of reference because God, Jesus is talking about us giving clothing to those who need clothing. And then God says, and I'll clothe you. I'll clothe you in righteousness. I'll clothe you in my, my bright, glorious um, protection. Verse 9, then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. You know, you want to seek the Lord. You want to be drawn near to the Lord. Remember those first few uh, verses. They're seeking the Lord. They're drawing near to him. You really want to know his nearness. Then share what he's already given you. And you will experience so much greater level of his, of his, of his nearness in your life. He continues, if you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your, your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. Notice, you know what? There, God is saying, look, you're not seeking after me. You're chasing your own desires, your own agenda, instead of me and really seeking to embrace the gift that I've given you and then sharing that with those around you. And guess what? As we do that, we actually get what we want in the first place. Notice he says that in, in this verse. He says he's going to satisfy our desire in scorched places. So don't worry, God, God, you know, a message a few weeks ago, it's like, don't worry, God knows what you desire, God knows, more importantly, what you need, and he's going to give us what we need, and, we're, and it will probably be a much more greater delight than what we might have been chasing after uh, and away from him in the first place. So he will give us the satisfy our, our desire in scorched places, are we not living in a scorched place? I mean, we're the richest country in the world. We are super blessed. But I think one thing this pandemic has done is reminded us that, you know what? We live in tribulation. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And I, I really believe the great revelation began at the, the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And I think it ends at his return. And I think... In America in the 20th century, at certain times, particularly my generation, our generation, we kind of feel like we've been kind of been in this bubble. And this pandemic, I think, is a reminder that, no, no, we live in a scorched earth. We live in a desert. We live in a world that is destitute spiritually. And yet God is saying, look, you take the gifts I've given you and you share them with those around you, and I will... I will fill you up. I will give you the greatest desire. He, he goes on. It, it, the language is so beautiful. 
He says, make, I will make your bones strong. I'll make you strong from the very core of you. From the inside out, you'll be, be made strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall re- raise up the foundation of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of restorer of streets to dwell in. So we live in a scorched earth, we live in a desert, and yet, as we are faithful to the Lord to give what he's given us, to share salvation, to share the ways in which he has set us free from our wickedness, the ways that he has broken oppression, depression, stress, anxieties off of us, we have an opportunity to share that with other people. As the Lord has given us resources, as he's provided for us food and clothing and a roof over our head, he invites us, he challenges us to share that with other people. That's our true spiritual worship. And as we do that, he will take care of us. He will bless us way beyond our greatest plan, way beyond our, what we think is our own agenda, our own business. You know, we, we think so small compared to him, right? And, and my... My, my nephew, my cousin's son, he, he uh, I don't know what you call that. What is that, a, a nephew first remove or something like that? I've never learned all that. But in case, he, he's been a conviction to me that they've just taken what they've had and they are making a huge difference. And we have the opportunity through the power of the Holy Spirit to do the same thing. And as we do that, what happens? God grows a community. He restores a community. We become the salt that Robert talked about last week in the message last week. We influence our culture. We influence our our society. We begin to restore God's plan and intention for his people. This language of, of, um, and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt and you shall raise up the foundation of many generations. That's, That's all about the people of God being restored back to the full promises and heritage that God has given them from from Adam Adam all the way down to to now in Isaiah and all the way right through uh, for us that, that, that as we practice this kind of religion, God is using it to to restore it as a as a community, as as the Renaissance community to to make real and effective and alive the kind of kingdom that God has in heaven. You know, we think about the Lord's Prayer. What does it say in the Lord's Prayer? It says, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As we do these things, as we share the gifts of God, we're bringing the kingdom of heaven and making it real and apparent on this earth. We become architects. I was sharing earlier the example of when Donna was in the hospital recovering from her brain surgery at um, St. Joseph in Orange. I was, you know, I spent a lot of time there because uh, she was in ICU for a couple weeks. But uh, I noticed in on this facility, there's all these really modern, big, modern hospital buildings. But they're in the middle of all the, these buildings is this little church. And as, as I kind of paid it, looked at it more and kind of and, and figured it out, it's like 
there's the original little church, and then you could tell they kind of added a wing here and added another building here, and then pretty soon there's another building here. And you can kind of see the different decades that it's happened based on the architecture. And it just keeps growing out from this little church into these massive modern 21st century hospital buildings. And, and, and it's just an example of how, as this little church cared for their community, took care of the people in Orange way back when, maybe like turn of the century, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, as they're just taking care of their community, their church begins to grow out and, and morphs over the course of the 20th century into this huge modern hospital complex. And that's an example of bringing God's kingdom into this world by us sharing the love of Christ with our, with our, with our family, with our neighbors, with, our, with the community of Renaissance. And that's, that's true spirituality. That's, that's the religion that Christ has called us to. He continues in verse 13. He says, If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasures on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure, which is, again, same, same word that could, could be translated your own business, or, or talking idly, meaning just kind of shooting the breeze, killing time. You know, if you, if, if you don't, don't uh, turn your foot from the Sabbath, what, that, that's kind of a colloquialism. What that means is when the, sa- the Sabbath is you're supposed to rest and relax and focus on, on the Lord and his business, his agenda, what, what he's doing in your life and the life of those around you, that's the purpose of the Sabbath. And to turn back your foot means don't run away from it. Don't use the Sabbath to go pursuing your own business, your own purposes. But a true, true Sabbath is to, to seek the Lord and his purposes and his business. And Jesus, you know, over and over again, Jesus got criticized by the Pharisees for healing people on the Sabbath, which to me is just so crazily ironic. I mean, imagine the Pharisees going, Jesus, stop healing people. This is God's holy day. What are you doing healing people? Right? That's just crazy. But they're, they're so, had got this so twisted upside down that it, that it became all about religious performance and, and straining gnats, making sure we keep the exact letter of the law while completely obscuring and ignoring the whole spirit of the law. And Jesus says, look, I'm doing my father's work. I am about my father's business. The Sabbath is all about pursuing the father's agenda, not your religious agenda. That's all about trying to make yourself look good, but pursuing the father's agenda. And the father's agenda, if there's somebody there in front of me who is bent over their whole life and has suffered pain, great pain their whole, whole life, and I have the capacity to heal them, guess what? I'm going to heal them. And not only is it about just healing them for their sake, and it is, it's also about being a witness to the rest of your church that, hey, the power of God is present here. The kingdom of God is present among you as a testimony of who Jesus is. So, so we, as New Testament believers in the new covenant of Christ, every day for us is a Sabbath day where we are about pursuing the agenda and the business of the Lord even as we are working, even as we are doing our business, even as we are enjoying our recreation, even as we are enjoying uh, 
great fun times with our friends, there's always for us the opportunity to be aware of and think about and see, hey, there's a, there's a door here, there's a need here, there's an opportunity to, to be a blessing to my friend, to be a blessing to my neighbor, and, that, and being that to them, offering something, a gift that the Lord has given you to them is an opportunity for powerful witness that the kingdom of God is here, that it's present among them, right? And that is how people are one into the kingdom. 14 says, Then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. It's interesting. We go right back to where we started. He says in verse 14, then you shall take delight in the Lord. He said that at the very beginning, but they weren't taking delight in the Lord in a genuine way. It was a false pretense. It was as if. And the Lord is saying, look, no, if you take the gifts I've given you, the spiritual gifts I've given you, the material gifts I've given you, and you extend those out and give them to those around you, you can experience delight in me in ways that go beyond uh, anything you may have experienced before. True delight, great inner joy that springs up. Scripture describes it as a fountain that springs up. It's a life that springs up from within us that flows out of our our obedience to the Lord. And, And the Lord is saying, look, I don't want you to be obedient in this sort of religious, outward, religious, false way. I want you to be obedient in the real way, which means take the gifts I've given you and share them with those around you. Both, And they're very practical. If somebody's hungry, give them a meal. If somebody needs clothes, give them clothes. If someone needs a roof, give them roof. That might be supporting a ministry for homeless. That might be offering a bedroom to... You know, someone who's visiting out of town, that might be offering a bedroom to someone who's going to school and, and trying to navigate school during this pandemic and you have an opportunity to help them in some way. It might be mean giving a computer to a neighborhood kid that you know his parents can't afford a computer. Right? There are a million practical ways we can make huge difference in people's lives. And I guarantee you, as you do that, you will delight in the Lord. You will experience the joy of the Lord, and they will be a witness of it. And that is really our greatest witness, right? And then we can say, and by the way, you know what? The only reason I can do this is because the Lord has blessed me so much. Well, really, how, how has he done that? What's that about? And then, then we have an opportunity, right? But it doesn't, doesn't help those who are hurting, those who are hungry, those who are lost, to just beat them up and call them sinners. God seems to reserve that message, hey, you're a sinner, to his own people, probably more often than not, because we need to hear it, right? We get comfortable. We try to put on the pretense. We try to pretend like, you know, we're doing great and and cover it up with with false religious practice rather than confessing, Lord, you know what? I'm selfish. I'm all about my own agenda. Forgive me for that. Release me from that bondage. And help empower me to give what you've given me to my neighbor. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm very much a grace, mercy, you know, salvation comes comes by faith kind of guy, right? Um, 
but I'm, my concern is that you know, some of you may be thinking, well, this, this is sounding very much like a, a works message, John. Like, we have to earn our way into God's good grace. We have to give away our, our wealth in, or, in order for God to be happy with us. And, and what I want you to be clear about and understand is that the call here is to give what God has already given us. We have salvation in the Lord. If we have confessed our sins to the Lord and asked him for our forgiveness and we've, and we've, we've, we've declared him as our Lord, we belong to him. We're in the family. We have heaven. But now the challenge is, and where we often fail, is to hold that within ourselves, to hold that back from our family, from our neighbor, from our church community. And God's saying, you know, that's sin. Stop holding it back. And definitely don't try to cover over it by being religious. You know, praying and reading the Bible and worshiping, all those things are good things. But if you're using those things to cover up for your sin, it's, it's, it's disgusting to the Lord, quite frankly. And that's why he gets so upset with the Pharisees. But if we've received the Lord, if we know the Lord and we belong to him, we are blessed. And he has so many gifts he's given us. And we need to share those. With, when we don't share them, we don't quite fully uh, actualize them. We don't, we don't, they, they don't come into their fullness. They come into their fullness when we give them away. When we give them to those who need them. Right? And, and, and we're doubly blessed as we do that. We're blessed as we receive them from the Lord. And we're even more blessed as we share them and give them out to our neighbors. So I think that's our call this morning. And again, even in this wasteland, this desolate place of the pandemic. And I want to say, especially for you who are in high-risk category, who, have, who are really protecting yourself, I'm very concerned about your loneliness, about the isolation, about the opportunity for you to share both your own needs as well as offer your resources, your gifts to those around you. We miss those gifts. And we support the decision to, to keep uh, your distance and to, and to protect your health. Absolutely support that. And I want to encourage you, that just means you have to be all the more creative and press harder into showing up and finding a way to share those gifts. Maybe you come and visit someone from the Renaissance community and you knock on the door and stand on their lawn and talk to them or, and just spend some time with them or you drop something on the porch, a little blessing, a little note. Maybe you call someone and say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting right now. I need help. I need prayer. You know, that was easier when we were meeting together and you could just informally say, yeah, pray for me. I'm kind of struggling, you know, this week or a family member's going into surgery or whatever it is. It's a lot harder now. You've got to push harder into that. And my challenge, particularly for those of you who are, are, are using the live stream, we're glad you're using it, but I want to challenge you. You need to press even harder to reach out both to receive God's gifting and then to share that gifting out to this community and to your neighborhood. So that's, that's our challenge. That's the Lord's challenge for us this morning. I, um, I pray that many of you will show up on Slack or on email this week and, and, and talk about how someone may have shared their gifting with you and blessed you this week or how, how even you, the Lord gave you an opportunity to bless someone this week even in spite of the pandemic. 
Uh, I pray that you will show up that way and reach out that way. Um, get on the phone, man. There's nothing like the phone. There's this a great invention called the cell phone. You can call any place, anywhere, anytime and talk to somebody. So I encourage you to do that. With that, why don't we pray? Lord, I thank you so much, God, for your great love for us. Lord, you love us enough to call us out. You love us enough to say, hey, you know what? Just reading your Bible in the morning or in the evening or singing a worship song, you know, those are great things, but they're dead if you don't, if you don't do something with them. If you don't take that gift I've given you down off the shelf and and open it up and exercise it and share it with your family, share it with your neighbors, share it with the community of Renaissance. Lord, forgive us, God. We confess to you, Lord, that we have been selfish with our own agenda. We've been preoccupied with our own fears. Lord, help us to put those away, God, and take up the blessing that we have in you and find a way, Lord, Notice the needs that are around us. Press in, reach out, ask. You know what? It, it never hurts for us to just ask somebody, hey, what do you need? What's going on in your life? Lord, help us, Father, to practice our religion that way. Put shoe leather to our faith, God. Help us to simply take what we already have in you and find a way to share it with someone who needs it. Lord, we ask, we ask you to empower that in our lives. We ask you, Holy Spirit, to give us the power to do that well, to do that in a way that truly blesses people, not based on our agenda, but based on your agenda in their lives, what they truly and actually need. Give us wisdom in that regard. Thanks for joining us in today's study. If you'd like to know more about us or where you can attend one of our services, you can find information online at www.ren.church. That's R-E-N dot church. Thanks for listening.